What's up, guys? It is Thursday, August 12th, episode 163, and today I have David Vork, CEO of Skynet, previously Saya. In this episode, David and I talk about everything that has to do with decentralized storage through Skynet, how they are looking to be the next decentralized AWS. We talk about their version of Twitter with Skyfeed. We talk about the upcoming home screen launch. We talk about what they can do potentially with NFTs and so many other things that are happening with their network and how they stack up versus some of the competition. I think you guys will really enjoy learning more about them. So with that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about Skynet and David. Enjoy. All right, David, welcome to the Blockhash Podcast Live. How are you doing today, man? Doing great. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, where are you based? Where are you from? I'm from Boston. Do you like it in Boston? I, it's pretty good, yeah. Is it good uh, for you know crypto? Like people like crypto and blockchain up there. Good place. Yes, to start the up? big advantage is you're right with um, Harvard and MIT and and BU and mm-hmm. Northeastern. So there's a, there's a lot of like really good academic talent, uh, you know, within 20 minutes. Oh yeah, that's a good point. You probably can find a lot of good developers coming out of there. Absolutely. Nice, nice. Um, okay, so tell me a bit about you yourself before we kind of jump in and start talking about Skynet and everything. Um, I'm sure some people are probably curious um, about your backgrounds, how you kind of got into the space, got into crypto. Um, give me a little bit of a rundown. Yeah, so I, uh, I went to college for computer science. I've always been kind of into engineering and into programming. And then freshman year of college, this was in 2011, um, my friend just kind of popped by my dorm room and said, hey, you should check out Bitcoin. I think you'd like it. Um, and he was right. Uh, basically, at that moment, my life took like, a sharp right turn, um, and I just became all about Bitcoin all the time. Um, and so I've been in the space now for 10 years. It was kind of crazy to say it. Uh, we've been working on decentralized storage for uh, about seven years, eight years, since since 2013. Um, and yeah, we, we've really started to hit a point with the technology, not just in, in Sia and Skynet, but I think in crypto as a whole, where it's starting to become mainstream accessible and like the major use cases start to make sense for a very broad audience. Yeah, I think Sia was like one of the first things I ever invested in crypto Um, and decentralized storage got me really excited. So it's cool to see that actually kind of come to fruition now. Um, Was that like the first thing you worked on was was uh, decentralized storage or did you uh, put your feet in the water in some other areas? Yeah, so I kind of got in with um, just tinkering around with mining, actually. I was working on, I'm forgetting the name now, it was, a, um, it was called like Block Hopper or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a mining, it, it hopped you from mining pool to mining pool and kind of took advantage of um, mining, mining pool payouts. Um, and then I did a lot of work with uh, Bitcoin Wizards studying um, just how blockchains are built and like the design decisions I've been, I was especially involved in Bitcoin all the way up until like maybe 2017, uh, just politically active and going to all the conferences and, and um, trying to move the needle needle on that front. And then um, decentralized storage really started in 2013 and, and has been the majority of my time since then. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. Um, tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing with Skynet. Um, and what's the origin of that? I know you guys, uh, split that 
uh, Skynet Labs, I believe, from the foundation, but you guys still work closely together is what you were saying before, correct? Yeah, so we started with Saya, which is a decentralized cloud storage platform. Um, and the original idea behind Saya was to replace things like Dropbox and iCloud. It was how do we, um, you know, how, how can we make a cloud storage provider or a cloud storage platform with no cloud storage provider? And in 2019, uh, very late 2019, we kind of figured out how to get this file sharing thing done. And so it evolved from being just Dropbox to being like a full cloud solution. And so on Skynet today, you can build things like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And so we can really take a lot of the actual web and the way the web works today and move it over to a decentralized platform where the key thing is that users own their own data. When you're making friends on Facebook, you own that social network. You can bring that social network with you to other platforms and to other applications. Um, so that's what's what's really got us excited about Skynet today. Yeah, it sounds a bit more like AWS than it does like Dropbox at this point. Is that similar? Yeah, it, and that's really that's why we decided to rename it. It's it's the same underlying technology, but we found a couple of tricks that allowed us to do much more, you know, compute style and just much much more webby things than we could ever do before the discovery of Skynet. Yeah. So what what kind of things are being built in particular right now, or, or do you guys have a bunch of use cases, um, you know, outside of just decentralized storage? in terms of how you guys are um, operating now? Yeah, so one of the big things on our platform is a decentralized Twitter. It's called Skyfeed. And then, of course, a very common use case is file sharing. So Skynet has actually gotten to the point where it's better for file sharing and, and things like WeTransfer than any centralized applications. It goes up to 100 gigabytes. It's really stable upload. It'll stay there for as long as you need. It's not peer-to-peer uh, -peer in the sense that, like, you know, you can upload a file and then send your friend a link and you can disappear. Um, you don't have to stay online while they download it. Um, and so in that sense, we're actually ahead of every other solution on the web. And that's one of the key things kind of pushing pushing Skynet today. But as we kind of evolve, um, you know, we're looking forward to more applications like Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. And we're actually working on something called Home Screen right now, which is a decentralized front-end solution for DeFi. Um, and so one of the major problems with DeFi today is that when you access, say, like Uniswap, you go to app.uniswap.org. That is a domain that's controlled by the Uniswap developers. It's moderated by ICANN and the domain authority. They're running it on a server, probably AWS. Um, and so Amazon is in the middle of that. And so you have all these parties between you and the smart contract. And so Uniswap is this amazing decentralized smart contract. But if the front end that you're accessing is not decentralized in itself, you actually are not able to interact with Uniswap in a decentralized way. You have all these parties that can either block you or corrupt the data that's being sent to you and kind of trick you into doing things that maybe aren't in your best interest. And so Skynet home screen is a way to install apps onto your Skynet um, folder, your Skynet drive. Mm -hmm. So that when you go to say Uniswap and you use the Uniswap front end, rather than being loaded from some server at app.uniswap.org, it's being loaded from your decentralized storage. And so it's just you and it's just the smart contract on the blockchain. We've cut out all the middlemen 
um, and giving you a truly decentralized experience. And of course, this can be with Uniswap, with Curve, with Wi-Fi, any, any really Web3 application. It doesn't even have to be DeFi. It can be NFTs or anything else. And we can give you a decentralized, a fully decentralized experience rather than having to put a put a centralized front end in front of you. Yeah, that's really cool. It almost sounds like this like Web3 version of, you know, your iPhone home screen where you can have all these, you know, integrations and apps and whatnot that are built on blockchain. Um, is that kind of like the direction you guys are going? Yeah. And we actually want to push it further than home screen because even on home screen, um, you're kind of stuck with apps update automatically. It's tough to downgrade if you don't like the new version of an app. Um, but on home screen, it's all under the user's control. They can, you know, you can go back to different versions if you want. You can install any flavor of the Uniswap front end that you want. There is no app store, right? You can you can put any application in that you want to have on your home screen. So I would say it's even it's even better than an iPhone home screen because iPhones are ultimately still controlled by Apple. Yeah, that that is true. There is that centralized body there when, when you look at you know what Apple's you know doing controlling the app space and um, it, it's exciting to see you know what potentially can help decentralize that because it's such a big part of you know the digital market out there is you know apps. So it'll be interesting to see how decentralized apps kind of get um, congregated into something like home screen. What's your guys' um, do you guys have like a launch date for it? Are you just in beta or what's the plan? Yeah, so we just put out uh, a beta yesterday. It is uh, homeapp.hns.sciasky.net. Um, so if you want to check it out, you can go and uh, you can try. Um, and then you'll you would need a uh, we'll, we'll get we'll send links around at the end that have the app and then the you know the example installation for. Uh, putting Uniswap on, but so I would say in the next 15 to 30 days, you can look for the final release and it'll come with a whole bunch of apps uh, pre-installed. And of course you can, you can remove them or install your own. Got it. Got it. Um, you also mentioned Skyfeed uh, a little while ago and that being like a new, like decentralized Twitter. Is there a lot of, is that like just kind of a use case? Or you guys have plans for that? I mean, it sounds pretty cool. I haven't heard of it before. Yeah, so it's actually completely built by a community member. It's not something that we control or run. Um, okay. And honestly, it's not something we thought was possible, but we were we were proven wrong. Um, a community member came in, built a Twitter-like platform where you can make tweets, you can follow people, you can see the things that they're posting, you can post reactions and stuff. Um, and it has a lot of support for media, like videos and images. Um, and the again, the idea being that in the decentralized world, the users have control over what they're what they're posting. The users have control over who they're blocking, um, and it's not there's not this Twitter moderator that's deciding what your feed looks like. Yeah, why did you guys think it was not possible to do? Yeah, so this was a this was actually in an earlier stage of Skynet development. There was a key like notification system, so we we actually didn't know at the time that Skyfeed came out how to do notifications. Like if if you know. You're following 20 people. How do you know when they've updated their feeds? Um, and how, how do you have everyone posting to kind of a, a common place? Um, and that's something that, that the Skyfeed developers solved on their own. Uh, and of course, now, now the whole space knows the techniques that were used. And so, you know, things like this can be built everywhere. Um, we've also built out kind of the base, the base technology further as well. So today it's definitely something that we, we understand and, and 
you know, expect more of. Um, but at the time, it really seemed like quite, it was quite surprising um, because there were pieces of the technology that we thought were missing that this developer showed us actually, uh, we, you know, we, we have enough uh, in place to, to build something like this. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I didn't know you guys could do something like that either. I'm going to have to check it out. Um, so, okay. So what's the role now that you guys kind of separated SIA a little bit, what's the role of the SIA foundation versus the role of Skynet labs? Yeah. So Skynet labs was originally a company called Nebulous labs. Nebulous labs is a for-profit VC backed entity that is really trying to make money. Um, and we kind of got to this place in 2020 where we realized that the, the for-profit entity had to continually be accountable to VCs. And so when questions are like, well, why don't you have hardware wallet support? We would look at how much, you know, how much developer hours it would cost to get something like Ledger supported versus how much return that would make for, you know, our, the company. And we'd be like, we can't, we can't afford this. It's not a profitable thing to do. Um, and so for a while, ecosystem health had been suffering because every time someone's like, oh, this feature would be really useful to the ecosystem. We were like, yeah, but we don't, we don't see how that generates a profit. Um, so we split the company into a for-profit and a non-profit. Um, so the for-profit is now called Skynet Labs is mostly fo focused on Skynet, which we see as like a high profit activity. And then the SIA Foundation is mostly focused on ecosystem health and pushing the vision forward. And so the SIA Foundation doesn't have to ask a question like, how does this generate us profit? If there's something like hardware wallet support, then the SIA Foundation can just commit money to uh, funding that and, and making sure that, that you know, those things get handled. Um, and so the, the main reason is really just to make sure that important ecosystem activities would get funded, even if they aren't profitable activities. Got it. How, okay, I got another question for you. So how, how does what you guys do stack up versus, um, you know, today Dropbox, um, what is it? iCloud, Google, uh, Google Drive. Um, is, it, is it cheaper? Is it easier to use, more accessible, um, you know, at this point in time? Or what's the goal in terms of, um, you know, that kind of being like your centralized competition? How do you guys feel that you stack up? Yeah, so there are really two ways that I think we stand out. The, the first is just ease and accessibility. We have a single sign-on solution. And when you have your data, you can have confidence that it's your data, it's encrypted. We're not scanning your data for ads because we don't have your data. You like It's your data, you have your data. Um, it's, not, it's not something we're able to access. And um, I think this is a very, especially with the latest um, Apple and iCloud announcement, I think this is a very important way to distinguish from the centralized competitors. You can trust that it's truly your data, that we're not going to delete your account because we can't. We don't have the ability to delete your account. Um, the other thing that really sets us apart is this open API. Because it's your data, if some other application is like wants to build a better front end, they can do so and then use the same exact storage. Or if applications want to use your Dropbox to share, say, YouTube videos, and everybody's kind of sharing their favorite playlists and stuff, you can set up sharing rules that allow this, this data to be shared between multiple applications or multiple friends in a way that really the centralized world cannot do and, and would, not ever, would not ever do. Got it. So how? Okay. So 
now looking at it from a decentralized perspective, how do you guys stack up versus um, you know projects like Filecoin or Storage, um, which are doing similar things in the space as well? Yeah, so I think the major thing that sets us apart is is our technological uh, just advantage. Um, storage is mostly a hybrid solution. They are uh, centralized in the sense that the storage company pretty much controls how the network is set up. That I believe they have the power to to kick files off, and if you talk to them, they will just openly admit that that storage is is more of a centralized solution than it is a decentralized one. Um, and then Filecoin, I think, is is just like way, way, way behind. The features that are available on Filecoin today kind of mirror the features that were available on Sia in 2016. I think they're you know they're still catching up to the 2016 version of Sia, and of course we've now launched Skynet, and we're we're much further ahead. So I think um, the the big thing is is that we you know we are the front runner. We have we have the market lead, um, and we're not going to let go of that anytime soon. Got it. Do you guys have like a way to incentivize people to, you know, participate in in size network, you know, from a decentralized storage perspective? I know it's getting really popular for people to get away from proof of work and proof of stake and to, um, you know, contribute to file sharing and a decentralized network. Um, I'm curious, like, what do you guys have put in place or do you have something put in place that helps people feel like they want to to participate or maybe that rewards them for doing so, or is there like some type of incentivization? Yeah, so the the core premise of the Sci Network is that uh, people who have storage sell or rent that storage to people who need storage. And so of course, if you have a bunch of storage, and I would say, you know, anywhere from like eight to 20 terabytes of data, you can put that data up on the, you can put that storage up on the Sci Network, you can sell it for between one to two dollars per terabyte per month, um, so like a you know a twenty terabyte solution might earn forty to fifty dollars a month, depending on how much bandwidth is happening. Um, and then you can make fifty dollars a month by selling your storage over on the on the Sci network. And so um, that's definitely that's definitely a a key concept behind our network. Is there a limit to that, or can you just go buy a whole bunch of hard drives and and start just? making a bunch of money renting out storage. Yeah, so there is a limit and the limit is not like, a, it's not like a coded speed limit. It's that you only make money when people actually rent your storage. And so there are about 500 hosts on the network right now, about 3000 terabytes total. And the total demand is maybe one and a half to 2000 terabytes. So uh, maybe half to, to two thirds of our network is empty at the moment. And so if you just come online and you you offer, say, a thousand terabytes of storage yourself, realistically, in the next six months, you're only likely to sell, say, 50 terabytes. Um, and so that's why I kind of say, you know, if you bring on 20 terabytes, there's a good chance that you'll sell most of it. But if you bring on substantially more, at least today, um, it may not all get sold. And, and of course, the network has been growing very rapidly over the past year. So... Uh, maybe two, three years from now, a thousand terabytes or ten thousand terabytes from a single provider would make sense, and and maybe all of them would sell. Yeah, it's very cool. I kind of want to try it out. I think it'd be fun to you know contribute you know hard drive space to a network like that, and I also want to like store files because um, it's I imagine it's probably a bit cheaper than using something like Dropbox or using something like iCloud, which you know has a limit, then you have to pay for it, um, and it's not super cheap either. Um, like is 
and also can you like put any kind of file like onto onto the network could it be like a video or a photo or um a document or yeah or even an application so we, okay. yeah we can do photos the one thing that we do very well relative to all of our competitors is video i think there's kind of this co conception or, or this like common sense that decentralized networks aren't good at doing heavy data um, and that's just not true on Skynet. So we, we regularly demonstrate streaming 4K video from Skynet to uh, the browser because Skynet is more than, more than happy to do you know, data rates even as fast as like 500 megabits per second. Um, and then the other, the other thing that I think people miss a lot is that you know, beyond just images and videos, you can do full applications like the Uniswap front end, for example, or uh, Skyfeed itself, the, app, the application code is actually hosted on Skynet. Okay, so you could you could host like an entire website or something like that, um, or a page using using Sia as a backend. Exactly. Okay, got it. Someone actually had a good question. Are the incentives in the form of Sia coin? Yep. So everything happens using Sia coin, um, and that's the storage is paid in Sia coin. The bandwidth is paid in Sia coin. Um, then there are a couple other operations on the network that are expensive, and and all of those transactions are happening using Sciacoin. Okay, cool. So it's a good idea because you can hold Sciacoin and you can put it away for a long time. Yep. Who knows? Maybe it'll go up in value. Um, yeah. One more one more question. This one's maybe a little bit more theoretical or philosophical, but where do you see you know potentially decentralized storage going in the future? Do you see it being something that's really disruptive uh, to like the big players out there like Amazon, Google and Apple in terms of storage and Dropbox or do you see it, um, you know, maybe being a substitute for them to use that saves them money and time and, and building on top of Sia in the future? Or how do you see it kind of playing out? Yeah, so I think that at a fundamental level, decentralized storage is just way, way more powerful than centralized storage. And for example, take an app like YouTube. So today we have YouTube. Let's say someone has an idea for how to make YouTube better. So they launch their own better YouTube. But in the centralized world, when you launch that better YouTube, YouTube is the one that owns all the data and owns all the content. So on day one, your better YouTube is going to have zero users. It's going to have zero videos. It's going to have zero content creators. You're going to have a ghost town. And it's not going to matter if your application is better because no one's using it. And so there's, there's no momentum behind it. Whereas in the decentralized world, if you want to improve on the decentralized version of YouTube, you can do so in a way that still has access to all of the users, the data, the content creators. Because again, your competitor is not the one that owns the data. The users are the one that own the data. And they're letting anyone they want access that data. And so as someone who has ideas on how to improve existing web applications or maybe blend applications together, like well, what if we blended YouTube and Twitch together? What if we blended YouTube and TikTok together, right? There are all these ways that we can mash data together in the decentralized web in a fully permissionless way that you just can't do on the centralized web. And I think as a result, the decentralized web is gonna run circles around the centralized web. And as soon as it gains a little bit of momentum, it's just going to be completely over for, for the centralized web. They're not going to be able to keep up with the freedom and innovation that comes out of open access. You just gave me a huge idea. You guys should create a decentralized TikTok. You guys would absolutely kill it. There's so many content creators out there that would love to just, you know, be able to take charge and make money off their own content. Absolutely.
yeah, let me know if that's ever in the pipeline one day or someone develops it. I want to try that out. Um, but yeah, to kind of start wrapping it up, uh, what's your guys's, you know, timeline or roadmap look like for Skynet labs? Like, what do you guys want to accomplish by the end of the year or what do you have coming that you want people to, you know, uh, look forward to? Yeah. So the, the big thing that we're working on right now is, um, monetization for content and content creators. We want people who are making videos to be able to make money. Um, and we've been looking really at the NFT space as kind of the North star. And I think that, um, I think NFTs have not yet realized their potential. I, I think we see a couple ways to kind of expand and improve upon how NFTs look today, uh, to make them a lot more accessible and mainstream friendly. And then, and then kind of the idea is that, um, you'd have these content creators who all have their own tokens, their own NFTs that allow their um, followers to participate with them in a much more financial way. Um, and so I, I, th I think that when we take this space to its, you know, to its full, full end, maybe by the end of the year, maybe middle of next year, um, we will see content creators being able to drop ads, drop sponsors, really focus on themselves and their relationship with their audience. And then at the same time, make more money than they ever could have by putting ads in front of their audience. Yeah, what do you mean by improve upon NFTs? Like what are you trying to potentially improve upon or make better? Yeah, I think that uh, NFTs right now, they've kind of got the ownership thing, right? They kind of understand mm -hmm. like when you buy an NFT, you own it and then you're part of a community. But then that's sort of like the way NFTs work today, you're part of a community question mark, right? And we haven't really figured out how that community works, how people interact with each other. How do different NFT communities like connect with each other and collaborate with each other. And I think that there are some very interesting answers to that in, in ways that we can have NFTs be even more interactive, make it so that buying an NFT really does make you part of a community. You can have an NFT as part of your identity and like you can associate with different content creators. You can demonstrate support for them by buying, you know, special NFTs of their content. And then you can start to create things like you can imagine uh, Twitch chat where certain emojis are only allowed to users who have bought the corresponding NFTs. And so you can you can make a, and I, again, I think that's just like a very early example. I think we can get a web that is much more interactive with NFTs than than where things currently are. And I think that's, that's when NFTs start to get really interesting. Yeah, NFTs are already very interesting as it is. So it'd be cool to see how those improve in the future. Um, anyways, I think it's a pretty good place to wrap up. David, thank you for taking the time to come on today and elaborate on, you know, Skynet and what you guys are doing. Um, everything from, you know, home screen and Skyfeed and NFTs and I don't know, so much, so much good stuff in the episode. So thank you. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. We'll talk again soon.